morning. I was kind of thinking we'd be down to 20 or 30 with the marriage retreat and everything. But, so thank you very much for being here. Um, as you know, we've been going through the Beatitudes coupled with a psalm. And um, we have studied being poor in spirit, mourning over sin, being gentle, hunger and thirsting after righteousness. And today we are studying verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, I must confess, I've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, I can't imagine how many times I've read it. Um, I've even preached on it a couple times in years past. Um, but this time around, it's hitting me like a load of bricks. And I don't understand why it's so special this time. But one of the things I read is that when you look at the Beatitudes, what you're looking at is what a kingdom member heart looks like. And early on in my studies, that kept on coming back to me and going, ooh, I'm not so good at that one, and I'm not so good at this one. And in the Lord's sense of humor, today, he told me, I want you to talk on being merciful. And I will tell you that I'm more unmerciful than I expect most of you are. My wife has the gift of mercy, and she'll go do things, and I'll go, why are you doing that? And Later on, I find out why, that the Lord is using that. Um, in any event, this has been a challenging series for me. It has, in a way, crushed my spirit. Um, it made me feel very inadequate. But I've told you, the Beatitudes are a portrait of what a kingdom member heart looks like, and we'll get into it later, but it is also a portrait of what God's heart looks like, and that's the challenge that is in it for all of us. But let me ask you this question. What do you think of when you think of your heart? I generally, when someone would say, well, what is your heart? I would think of it emotionally, would you not? It's like, yeah, that's my emotions. That's what I feel. It's emotional. Biblically, that's not necessarily the case. I read a study. Biblically, this guy made a good case. He says sometimes when the Bible says your heart, it means your reasoning or your understanding. At times, it means our affections and our emotions. At times, it means our conscience. And at times, it means our will. Um, Jerry Bridges says, the heart denotes the whole soul of a man and all its faculties, not individually, but as they all work together in doing good or evil. The mind reasons, discerns, and judges. The emotions do as they like or dislike. The conscience as it determines and warns, and the will as it chooses and refuses. Altogether, these are called the heart. So when we study the Beatitudes, we're trying to change our heart. We're hoping the Lord will do that. But what a task it is. It's just not an emotional thing. It's your mind, your conscience, your will. All that you are, all that you are, you think about, has to change. God needs to change that. The Spirit needs to change that. Um, that just points out how daunting this task is, is it not? We need a change of attitude from top to bottom. An impossible task for us, so let's begin today with a word of prayer, and then we'll move on to the Beatitude. Our Heavenly Father, you introduced your kingdom here in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing you said was, 
this is what a kingdom member looks like. This is what their mind, their heart, their conscience and will look like. Indeed, what we are to look like is to be you. That is a task we can do nothing about, Heavenly Father. We cannot change our hearts. So we come to you today with our spirits humbled, with our hearts crushed. And we just ask that your spirit would be here to change us, to give us hope. We know that you've told us that at the end of times, when we see you, we will be like you. And we look forward to that. But Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts and minds today and throughout each day so that we would become like you even now. In thy name we pray. Amen. The Greek translated mercy, and I won't get too Greeky on you, but it means compassion, mercy, kindness, goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with the desire to help them. Um, biblically, from mercy between men, from one man or one woman to another, is the exercise of the virtue of mercy, to show oneself mercy to meet their needs. I'm reading out of Strong's um, Biblical Concordance. Um, of God, mercy means in general providence. He makes the rain come on the righteous and the unrighteous, does he not? He provides all the things for our life. But it also, mercy in a godly sense means mercy and clemency of God in providing offering, the offer of, to men of salvation by Christ. And of Christ, it's used in the sense of his return to judgment where he will bless true Christians to eternal life. So there's different aspects of mercy. But what I would ask you to consider is each one of those sections, men to men, God to us, Christ to us, it involves action. It involves doing something. And if there's a difference between the word compassion and pity and grace and mercy, it's that mercy means stepping out. It means doing something. Let me illustrate that. Um, you all know the Sermon on the Mount. A lawyer stands up and tests Jesus. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit life and eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How does it read? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. <clears throat> but the lawyer, wishing to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus replies, and he says, a man is going to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Those are two of the righteous men of Israel, the righteous groups in Israel. Jesus continues, but a Samaritan who was on a journey, he came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Make note of that. He felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up, bandaged up his wounds, he pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast. He walked on his own. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell in the robber's hands? And the lawyer said to Jesus, kind of snarky, I think. He says, Oh, I suppose the one who showed him mercy. He didn't mention Samaritan. He didn't want anything to do with Samaritans. So he just flipped out. I guess the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same thing. Notice in that parable of Jesus that the Samaritan, when he saw the man, he felt compassion 
But at the end of the parable, it says, he showed mercy. Mercy does something. Mercy steps out and says, I feel pity. I feel compassion. I feel love. And I need to do something about it. I need to show mercy, as Jesus says. That makes this parable a little bit different than the first four, doesn't it? The first four really describe an inner heart of a kingdom member, a heart that is in tune with the Lord's heart. But now we're moving on and we're talking about what does the kingdom heart do? It moves out. When it sees need, it does something. So we're going to move on. Um, what does having a merciful heart mean? What does it mean when a kingdom member has a merciful heart? <clears throat> Certainly the Samaritan saw to the needs of the man who was robbed and assaulted. He stopped his plans. He bandaged the man's wounds, put him on his own donkey, walked himself. He rented a room for him. He gave the income keeper his visa card and he said, here, you do everything that this man needs until I return and I will make up the difference. I will pay you for it. And Jesus says, go and do the same. We meet people's physical needs. That is part of a kingdom member's merciful heart. And I would add to that, James asks a question in James 2.14. He says, what use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now don't misunderstand what James is saying. We don't need mercy in order to prove that we have eternal salvation. But what he is saying is, I wonder if a person can understand the mercy that's been extended by God to him in salvation through Jesus Christ. If he understands or he, she understands that mercy, how can they see need and not have it burden their heart? Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross to pay the penalties for our sins. And so he did. But his life before his crucifixion is a pattern for us to follow. Early on in his ministry, he made wine for a distraught wedding couple as they had run out at the wedding feast. He fed 5,000 because he had compassion on them. He healed disease. He raised a synagogue leader's daughter from the dead. In Luke 5, we're told that a man came to him, quote-unquote, covered with leprosy. In that day and age, you don't touch someone covered with leprosy. But Luke tells us Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said, I am willing to heal you. Be healed. Note that he reached out. He touched him. Mercy gets involved, does it not? Jesus was intimately involved with people's lives. So should we be. So we ask ourselves, is my heart merciful? We would also say that a merciful heart meets spiritual needs. It's not just a social gospel. Jesus asked in Mark 8, <clears throat> it's a rhetorical question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? The answer is, it doesn't profit a man anything if he gains the world and he loses his soul. A merciful heart seeks to help need in this world as we saw Jesus as the example. That said, 
for us to show mercy and meet physical needs and not tell the recipient of that mercy the source of that mercy. What are we accomplishing? All mercy comes from, originates in God the Father. When we are mercifully to someone's, merciful to someone's physical needs, we need to be merciful to them in an eternal sense. We need to tell them the gospel. If we are merciful in a physical sense and we do not do, no, do, not do that, we are depriving them of the greatest mercy they could possibly know. I knew a lady that worked at a philanthropic organization here in town. She's a believer, a kingdom member, and she worked at that organization for two or three months, and then at the end, even though she needed a job, they decided they needed to part ways. And why did they need to part ways? Because helping people is one thing, but being told, don't bring up Christ as to why we're helping them, she couldn't work there. She's denying the greatest gift that she could give them in giving them the small thing, giving them the world, but not giving them eternal life. That is the great act of mercy that we are to perform. We move on. The merciful heart will receive mercy. I guess the question that arises there is, if you're like me and your past has not been very merciful. Will God treat me badly or withhold mercy from me? I would say to you that God is always merciful. Whether you are merciful today is not going to change who God is. Ephesians says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. He was merciful when we were not, when we were unmerciful. I don't know that it was going to be on the screen, but <clears throat> the way this reads is, this is from D.A. Carson. Our mercy is not the casual grounds or the causal grounds or basis God uses to decide whether he's going to be merciful. Rather, if our heart is merciful, it is the occasion that God can use to extend mercy to us. Our merciful heart is the evidence that we are able to receive mercy. If you are not merciful, God's always merciful, but he finds it hard to give it to you if you're not willing to open your hands and accept it. So when will we receive God's mercy? I think this is really interesting. Uh, the disciples and Mark 10 are having a discussion. <clears throat> and Peter says to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, by the way, but also, and in the coming age, eternal life. So we will receive mercy from the Lord in this present age, and we will receive mercy from the Lord in eternal life. <clears throat> but understand from that passage, mercy, being merciful, costs you something. It will cost you time or finances or emotion or headache. Properly understood, what you do because of mercy, you do for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake. And Jesus says, whatever you leave behind, you will receive back from our merciful Father 100 times over. I spoke one time on the rewards that God gives us, and I think of all the sermons that I've given I got more pushback on that one than any of them. I had a lot of people come up and say, well, I don't do this because of gifts that the Lord's going to give me. The Lord doesn't need to do that. I'm thinking, wow, <clears throat> that's interesting. If you don't think the Lord needs to reward you, if you don't think the Lord wants to reward you because you're earning it, that's not right. Because if you look at 
the day you became a kingdom member, you didn't earn that either, but the Lord rewarded you with eternal life. Let the Lord work on you as he would. He wants to be merciful. He will reward you in this life and in the next. That's when we will receive mercy, now and in the future. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, tells us to give thanks, for this is the Lord's will for you in Jesus Christ. You ever wonder why that's the Lord's will? I think one of the reasons is that the Lord wants us to always acknowledge the fact that he is merciful. It's one of the reasons we love him, is that he's a merciful God, and he's done so much for us. I want to move on now to Psalm 103. We're coupling Beatitudes in the Psalms. The NASB titles this psalm, Praise for the Lord's Mercy. The psalm begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Hebrew translated bless means to salute, to praise, to kneel down before. David continues and he says, All that is within me, bless his holy name. We talked about the heart. It's your mind, your conscience, your will, your emotions. David says, All that's in me, all that stuff, I want that all to bless God's name. What he wants is his heart to be a beautiful heart as God's heart is. So what is this heart of God that we bow down to? Sean and I were talking before the service. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing? God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all these things. He doesn't need anything. He's self-sufficient. But God's heart is merciful. Not to be flippant, but if you put me in that position, I probably wouldn't answer the door if you came a-knocking, you know? If you're all-powerful, all-knowing, all-self-sustaining, how is it that God's heart is merciful? Isn't that amazing? So the question is, what is this heart of God that David wants us to bow down to? What does Psalm 103 tell us about God? I won't read the whole thing. Doug already has. But listen to these snippets out of that psalm. God pardons all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from condemnation. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies our years with good things so that we can soar like the eagles. He performs righteous deeds and judgments for all the oppressed. He's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He does not deal with us according to our sins. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. He removes our transgressions from us. He has compassion on each of us who fear him. His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. That's just one psalm. That's the heart of God the Father. The Beatitudes are describing that heart. That's the heart that we want. <clears throat> so we ask again, what is this heart of God that we bow down to? Jesus tell us, tells Philip in John 14, he who has seen the Father has seen me. And in John 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When we read of the life of Jesus, we see the heart of God, do we not? He heals the sick. He touches lepers. He weeps over death. He feeds the hungry. He loves and forgives the undeserving. He loves children. He answers prayers. He washes feet and is the servant of all. He invites all who come to him who are weary and burdened, and he will give them rest because he is gentle and humble in heart. He dies on the cross and suffers the wrath of God the Father so that you and I will be able to spend eternity with him. He builds a place for us in heaven. That's the heart of God that we bow down to. What is this heart of God? If we look at scripture generally, the Bible teaches us his heart is faithful, <clears throat> He defends the weak, listens, he comforts, he disciplines, he protects, he guides, he gives life. He keeps us from temptation. You see, God is not apathetic. God is merciful. He acts in our behalf. He's a father to the fatherless. He knows when a sparrow falls. He gives grace to the humble. He answers prayers. He brings peace. 
You cannot accuse God of not caring, ever. God cares. He is merciful. He makes all things right. He provides us an eternal home. He is involvement. His heart is merciful. His heart acts out of that mercy. That is the heart of God. That is the heart that the Beatitudes describe. That is the heart that we want. So what do we do to have this heart? Daniel pretty much, he didn't know it, we didn't talk, but he answered the question. We can't do anything. We can't make a list. If you make a list on how to be merciful, how to be godly, you know what discipline is? I read once, discipline without motivation is drudgery. If we make a list of this is what I'm going to do in this coming week to be merciful, you're going to fail if your heart isn't changed. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, says, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Our heart needs to change. God didn't do all these things because he was earning, Jesus didn't do all these things because he was earning brownie points with the Father. He did it because that was his heart. Our heart has to change. Who can change our heart? Augustine wrote, God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. We have to seek God. There's a young lady here that has asked for prayer, and I won't name names right now, but she asked Jackie and I to pray that she could focus more on Jesus. Is that not what it's all about, folks? Isn't that what the Beatitudes are all about? Focusing on the heart of Jesus. We need, first off, focus on Jesus, and how can you do that? You need to pray. You need to have the Holy Spirit taking a hold of your heart and doing what he needs to do. And the one way that he can do that is through constant communication with the Father through prayer and also his word. We will be studying this at our house in a small group. One of the missions of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the scriptures. If you're not in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit can't talk to you. That's how hearts change. We need to change our hearts. David's, <clears throat> excuse me, David found that he could not understand his heart. He asked God to give him understanding. We must do the same thing. Psalm 139, one of my favorites, he writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. I might add in there, I'm having a problem understanding my own heart, why I feel the things I feel sometimes. David continues, try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful ways in me. That's not merciful. Lead me into the everlasting way. Pray God examines your heart. So I would ask again, well then what do we do? What does it look like when I leave this place of worship, gymnasium. We change our heart. God changes our heart. But then what would we do? And I, my answer to that is, I don't have a clue what mercy's going to look like for you. But I know the one who does. As a heart becomes like God's, opportunities for showing God's mercy will open up like you could never have imagined. And we will then receive mercy. And it's not necessarily God's going to plunk down mercy in front of you. What's going to happen is that when your heart is changed, you will see the opportunities that were always there and you didn't see them before. God will open your eyes if our heart is right, if our hearts are merciful. Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we read these Beatitudes, and at first, we're crushed. When we look at what your heart is, and we consider what ours is, it's not encouraging. But we know this, Heavenly Father, you didn't give the Sermon on the Mount to frustrate. 
You gave the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in order to teach us. And what you've taught us is that we can't do it on our own. That we fall on your grace and your mercy. And there is the joy. The Beatitudes were not meant to depress or frustrate. The Beatitudes were written to spoken to open our eyes and to change our hearts and to have true joy. I pray, Heavenly Father, that each person here would feel that joy increasingly, that we would focus on you. We just pray that you will open opportunities, open our eyes and open our opportunities to us to show your heart to others. In thy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is uh, Brian. Those that don't know me, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, and today is Prayer Sunday, so let's, let's pray right quick before we even start. Father God, uh, I, I ask you to come right now and anoint this time that you, you open our hearts to hear and just allow us to uh, see with your eyes, Father. So thank you for, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today is 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That, that's the beatitude that we were, we were talking about. I've been asking the Lord all week, okay, Lord, what, what do you want to share during prayer sources, during the, the prayer Sunday? And he gave me a story. He does that a lot. And I was like, really, Lord? That's, that's the story you want me to share? Okay, well... Your Lord, so you get to call the shots. Um, so I want to share a story. This happened in Russia 70 plus years ago. And there was a congregation in Russia that was worshiping the Lord just like we were just worshiping the Lord. Two men came into the congregation and came up to the center of the stage, and they had rifles. And they looked at everybody in the congregation and they asked, what are you doing here worshiping some imaginary God? Now, the people in the congregation, you guys can sit. You don't have to stay standing for all this. Uh, the people in the congregation, they were terrified. In Russia in this time, they wanted you to worship the state. They did not want you to have allegiance to anyone other than the state. So they were very hard on Christians. So these men came in, and they stood up in front of the church, and they said, okay, here's the deal. Anyone that wants to worship this imaginary God, and their face are masks of hatred, we want all of you to go to the, to the right. So everybody, go to the right that wants to worship the imaginary God, and you're going to die. We're going to kill you. Everybody that wants... To live, we're going to let you live. So you guys can go to the left. Well, so the, the congregation split. And we had people on the right who were bowing their heads in silent prayer and petition to the Lord in worship. And we had people on the left that are they're crying and they're waving goodbye for the last time to these 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 other people, because they were just worshiping when these men came in. They were singing all together praises to the Lord, but now it's, it's a matter of life and death. And I don't know about that. That's, that's a little bit too much. So the soldiers let these people on the left, they let them go out. And they, they honored what they said. And after the last person went out the door, the soldiers put down their arms and said, we're Christians too, but we don't want to worship with hypocrites. We want to worship with people that love the Lord their God with a pure heart and worship him only. So God, that was mercy for both sides. God wants us to see our heart and where we are. Are we kingdom men, kingdom women? Are we building kingdom marriages? Are we making kingdom kids? Only he can do that. He can change our heart. My heart is that the people on the left went home and got on their face and their hands and their knees and they're like, Lord, save me. Help me to have the heart like those people. And the people on the right, can you imagine how rich their worship was? as they got to worship in spirit and in truth, as they had just gone through severe testing. Wow. That's my prayer for all of that. And I didn't even know why the story even, why he wanted the story to hear today. But he wants to show us our heart. And only he can change our heart. But we have to know where our heart is. A lot of us, we may be saying things or thinking things or drinking things or wearing things that are not appropriate. They are not God-honoring. He wants us to just open our eyes and start worshiping him in spirit and truth and be his model and his glory to the world. So we're going to practice today. We're going to all, now we can get up and stand up. We're going to get in small groups. We're going to pray together in small groups. So get in groups of 10 or 15 three or four rows that are near you. And just to ask the Lord, we're going to take five minutes, ask the Lord in your group to show you your heart, to pray for those in your group, and also pray for the persecuted church, because this does happen.
So we can start praying right now.
Praise the Lord for his mercy. As we start to wrap up. And as the music team starts to come up, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy. They are new every morning. I sin again and again and again and again, and you are there to forgive me over and over again. So I just give you the honor and the glory and the praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, 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 and that is the truth, Lord, that we say amen to that. Uh, I, I, I've just been reminded over and over since I got up this morning that your grace is sufficient 
for your power is perfected in our weakness. So may we boast in our weaknesses, because when we do, you show yourself strong. Lord, I thank you for um, just the grace gifts that you give us, Lord, the, the opportunity to worship you freely, your word to speak to our um, very hearts, Lord, your spirit to just energize our souls. Lord, I thank you for um, all that you have done in this place this morning. Lord, I thank you for just even the sweet gifts of fellowship and food, Lord. I pray for the food right now. I pray that you would bless it, um, that you would bless the hands that made it, and that you would bless the fellowship that's going to take place around it. It is a means to an end, and that is that we would edify and encourage one another that we might look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you in um, advance for what you'll even do in that moment. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you, um, even if you didn't bring anything, please stay for the meal. We brought a lot. We have pizzas um, coming that are just going to go to waste. If you need prayer, if you don't know anything, if, if, if everything Don was saying to you was just like, what in the world? I don't get this mercy of God. You've never tasted the mercy of God, or you just need to connect. I would love to pray with you. I'll be up here. So will some other people. Please come up and pray with us. Um, we would love that. Next week, I will be teaching on blessed are the pure in heart. And that is uh, in the psalm I'll be looking at is Psalm 40. Today's benediction and our closing is Jesus said this when he was speaking about judgment, us judging, forgiving, and showing mercy to others. He said this, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, over and poured into your lap. The amount you give of those things will determine the amount you give back. So may we go this week, practice mercy, and watch him double back. Have a great week in the Lord.